Our Bible reading this morning is from Psalm, or all of Psalm 118, and it can be found in your Bibles that you were given at the entrance, 609, page 609, Psalm 118. At the Last Supper, a meal Jesus had with his disciples the night before he died, we are told that they sung some hymns. As, a customary, as is customary for um, the Jewish Passover feast, it is highly likely that Psalm 118 is the last song Jesus and his disciples sung that night. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord, he brought me into spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but the name of the Lord, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surround me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarm around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but has, he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of, righteous, of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give, thanks to, to, I will give you thanks for you answered me you have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. 
what bows in his hand join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thanks, Faith. Uh, let me, my name is Matt Straw. I'm an assistant minister here at church at, uh, where are we? St. Stephen's. It's great to have you here at St. Stephen's. Uh, why don't I pray for us? Uh, thanks for joining us this Easter. Let's, let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for Easter and for what it means for us. Remind us this morning, move us this morning, change us because of Easter. Amen. Amen. All the best stories move from death to life. All the best stories move from death to life. My grandmother is constantly celebrating the new life in her garden from a plant that she thought was history, was dead, uh, or the successful cuttings she's taken from somebody else's garden and put in her own, with permission, of course. They're stories from death to life. Uh, we love makeover stories. We watch it on TV all the time, don't we, where something old and dead is made new again. Uh, a house renovated, a car rebuilt, a piece of junk repurposed. Perhaps the most enlivening of these death-to-life narratives are the stories of cured ca cancer patients. Maybe even a friend or a family member that escapes the claws of death. The joy we feel when we hear the words remission. Cleared, free. It was close, but they're alive. They're the best stories, aren't they? But all stories in the end are about death. All stories end in death, ultimately, don't they? Even if the cutting that my grandma took takes, one day it will die again. Even if the house that was falling apart is rebuilt, and I'm sorry if you're renovating at the moment, as soon as it's renovated, it starts deteriorating again. And even if a friend or family member has survived cancer, they will eventually, like all of us, in some way, someday, die. But what if the life cycle was rewritten? What if the truest life cycle was not the one we're most familiar with from life to death, but what if it was rewritten to be from death to life? What if the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just a glitch in the system, a misunderstanding or fake news? What if it was the rewriting of the life cycle? What if instead of things always ending in death, that was changed so that some things would end in life and life forever, life at the end of the story. But we are so familiar with the life cycle. We're so familiar, aren't we, with life ending in death. It's just the way we see things work from our point of view. There's been a lot of talk in recent years of euthanasia. Um, and I'm not about to ignorantly take a position on such an important and sensitive and personal issue. 
But what strikes me in that discussion of going when and how we want to, what strikes me about it is that it, it shows to me how deeply we believe that death is just a natural part of life, just something, another thing to be managed. And we can lose any sense that it should be any other way. We can lose the biblical story where death is not just a natural part of life, but death is unnatural. Death is an intruder. Death shouldn't be here. It's a byproduct of evil. Death is an enemy. That's how the Bible talks about it. And with the mindset we have that all stories end in death, the idea of Easter, the truth of Easter, the story of Easter can be completely misunderstood, misinterpreted, or missed. I was at a scripture assembly about two Wednesdays ago, just at a school nearby, years three to six kids at a special religious education assembly, and the MC was up there, and the MC said, at Easter, we remember that Jesus died and rose to life again. And there was this audible gasp or chuckle from the students as if, did he hear what he just said? Does he really believe that? Did he make a mistake? So I want to address this morning the simple and yet profound message of Easter to remind us of at least a few of the facts in Easter that in recent times have become unimaginable. And to do that, I want to look with you today at that song that Faith read to us, a song about Easter. That song indeed was the last song uh, historians think that Jesus sung with his disciples at the Last Supper. And so it's kind of the soundtrack to the Easter story. It's the background to it and it explains the message of Easter. And it points to the idea that Easter equals life. That the life cycle from death to life can be rewritten as one from death to life. And the first thing, Psalm 118, if you've got it open, I hope you will keep it open. The first thing it tells us is that Easter is a story of God's love for us. Easter is a story of God's love for us. Understandably today, many people find, maybe that's you here today, many people find it hard to believe in God, and especially in a loving God, because of the state of the world we find ourselves in. As we get older, we realize that the world is irretrievably broken, irreparably broken, and many of us are angry with God because of the brokenness of life. Perhaps the most acute and personal way that we're confronted with the brokenness of our world is in death. And that could be in the death of a loved one. It could be in the death that we see in genocide. It could be the death that we see in world wars or the death produced by famine all around the world. And we think, how could a loving God allow this? How could a loving God make a world like this? Sir David Attenborough, the natural historian, in an interview with Andrew Denton, said, when creationists or Christians talk about God creating every individual species as a separate act, 
they always instance hummingbirds or orchids, sunflowers and beautiful things. But I, David Attenborough, tend to think instead of a parasitic worm that is boring through the eye of a boy sitting on the bank of a river in West Africa. A worm that's going to make him blind. And I ask them, are you telling me that the God you believe in, who you also say is an all-merciful God, who cares for each one of us individually, are you saying that God created this worm that can live in no other way than in an innocent child's eyeball? Because that doesn't seem to me to coincide with a God who is full of mercy. But the Bible's answer is that God is actually on your side when it comes to this question. The Bible, how God wants us to know him, doesn't ignore this question, but raises this question. And it agrees with our assumptions that the world is twisted and broken and evil and unhappy and not what it should be or could be. But, the Bible says, it wasn't made like this. Rather, a loving God made it everything you wanted it to be. And we've mistreated it. And we've turned our backs on the designer and the designer's intended purpose. And this is the result. Disease, disaster, decay and death. It's kind of like how we are able to use things that that are designed good for evil. Think about money, sex and power. Money can be used to great ends, can't it? But it can, it can also be used to corrupt. Sex was made to deepen relationships, but it can also be used to assault a person. Power is beautiful when it's used to serve others, but it's often used to abuse. But the Bible continues. It says, because God is good and his love endures forever. That's said at the beginning of this psalm and at the end of this psalm. Because God is good and his love endures forever. God wanted to do something about the brokenness in our world. God wanted to fix the brokenness in our world. He wants to return to it and return our world to the glory that it once had. God is merciful because he's not indifferent. And God's faithful, never giving up love begins and ends this psalm because it's the beginning and end of the Easter story. It shows us a God who loves us. How does the Easter story show us a God who loves us? The Bible says this about Jesus' death and resurrection. For a good person, someone might possibly dare, dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, broken, Christ died for us. So firstly, Easter is a story about God's love for us. Secondly, Easter is a story about what God has done for us. Easter is a story about something God has done for us. I'm not sure if you've noticed in that psalm how many times God's name is mentioned, the Lord. It's just about in every single sentence. The Lord is with me. Give thanks to the Lord. The Lord is with me. Take refuge in the Lord. In the name of the Lord. The Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done it. The Lord is God. Give thanks to the Lord. This psalm is a story about a king 
and about a people who are part of that kingdom. But it's not about the king and it's, it's not about the people. The central figure in this story is God himself, the Lord. Because it's God who has done something for us. The Easter story, the central Christian story, is all about God doing something for us and not the other way around. It's not about us doing something for God. That's not what Christianity is about. That's not what Easter is about. It's not about us doing something for God which makes us acceptable to Him. It's about Him doing something for us which we cannot do for ourselves that makes us acceptable to Him. I don't know about you, but I'm a very, I like to think I'm a very self-sufficient person. I don't like accepting favours. I don't accept favours easily. And maybe you can think back to a time where you have had to accept a favour from another person. It's a humbling experience, isn't it? But knowing when to accept a favour is a sign of wisdom and strength. It's wisdom because you're saying, I know my limits. And it's a sign of strength because you're saying, I know who I am and who I am not. And Christianity is about having the wisdom and the strength to say, I know I have limits. I know I'm not God and I know I need his help. And maybe you see that. Maybe you understand that when it comes to the brokenness in the world, you can't do everything to fix it. When it comes to death itself, we're helpless. We can't change that. When it comes to the brokenness in ourselves, we need help. And when we try and do something to make ourselves acceptable to God, we reject what He has done for us. And we're merely being religious and not Christian. Because to be Christian is to accept what Christ has done for us in his death for you. And so Easter is the ultimate favour. That's the second thing to see in it. It's not a religious opportunity for us to come to church and to appease our consciences that we've done something for God today. But it's about the Lord doing something for us. How do we see that in the death and resurrection of Jesus? The Bible reflecting on Jesus' death says this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice by which our sins are forgiven. So Easter is about God's love for us. Easter is about God doing something for us. Receive that today. But finally, Easter is about a victory. Easter is about a victory. The song that Jesus sung the night before he died, the night he was betrayed by his friends and arrested, is a song about a king being surrounded on every side, where defeat and death looked inevitable and victory impossible. Have a look at verses 10 to 12. It says, All the nations surrounded me. They surrounded me on every side. They swarmed around me like bees. I was pushed back and about to fall. And we don't know exactly who the king was that this refers to. Um, it could even be all of Israel escaping Egypt in the great exodus. It could be all of Israel returning from exile. 
Uh, but to me, it seems much more personal than, that, personal than that. It's, I was pushed against a wall. I will give you thanks because you answered me. It's about a king. And in the last few days and hours before Jesus' death, you might have noticed in the story we read on Good Friday, he becomes more and more solitary. He goes through his death alone. Jesus prays alone because his friends fall asleep. Most of his disciples, his friends, flee when he's arrested. Finally, Peter, one of his closest friends, denies him three times. On trial, no one comes to his defense and he bears the cross alone. This is not a band of merry men fighting alongside him. He, he suffers, he dies, and he's buried alone. And even his resurrection, no one's there to meet him. And so Jesus has his victory over death alone. And so Psalm 118, verse 17, have a look at it with me, right in the middle of this psalm. It says, I will not die but live. That sentence was true for the original person, the king in this psalm, written many centuries before Jesus. But it also becomes true in, in Easter of Jesus. I will not die but live. That's what happens to him. But here's the thing about a king's victory. A victory for a king is also the victory for the kingdom. A battle won by a king is also a battle won for the whole kingdom. That's how kingship works. And that's what the story of Easter is about. And that's the last great truth about Easter I want to reflect on this morning. His victory over death is your victory over death. I joined a futsal team about a year and a half ago, a five-a-side soccer team. And we were terrible when we started playing together. We didn't, we're a group of individuals. We didn't know one another. We couldn't even say, hey, Bob, here's the ball. We were terrible. But about a year later, um, we got really good. I think I can say that today. We're pretty good. And uh, we got into the semifinals. And this season, I tore a ligament in my foot in the semifinals. And so I couldn't play the grand final the following week, which we made it into. I was devastated. And Anyway, I turned up. I wanted to be there to support the team. And I was on the sideline a few Monday nights ago with my water bottle, cheering, giving advice, which no one was listening to. I couldn't play. I was just on the sideline. But here's the thing. That night, I got the reward that my team won. I wasn't on the field. I wasn't in the game. I didn't touch the ball, but I received what my team won for me that night. A victory for the king is a victory for the whole kingdom. That day, Easter day, when Jesus rose from death and was victorious over, over death, that day, Easter day, is the day that those who are on his side, who are on his team now, receive their victory over death. You will die once, but you will live again if you receive his victory over death. If you receive victory over death in the name of the Lord. What the king was able to say, I will not die but live. What Jesus was able to say, I will not die but live. 
becomes what you and I are able to say in him, I will not die but live. And the cycle from life to death is rewritten. From death to life. And you join the best of stories. The story of Easter. When Easter equals life. So today, if you're already on his team, today you celebrate, you thank God, you remember what you have received from the king's victory. That your life doesn't ultimately end in death. Hallelujah. Your life doesn't ultimately end in death. But goes from death to life. And if you're someone here today who resonates with the best of stories, you like the idea of life going from death to life, then today I want to tell you, you can join in that story, that reality. You can join in the best of stories simply by choosing to be on his side, accepting God's love, God's favour, God's victory over death, simply by saying, I'm in. How do you do that? Well, you might begin to explore that by joining us at church again next week at 9.30, right here. You might decide you want to check out the Alpha Course, which Chris will tell us about later. The Alpha Course is a, a time with friends where you eat a meal and you discuss life, faith, meaning. You might like to check out our website. Check out the Alpha Course on our website. Today we're going to take communion, which is uh, reenacting the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples, where we share a celebratory meal. And together we eat and drink saying, I'm in, I'm a part of the team. Today for the first time, you might like to eat and drink that celebratory meal with us. Come up to the front, take some bread, take some juice or some wine and say I'm in. And you might like to tell the person who's giving you uh, the bread or the wine and they'll pray for you. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death and resurrection. Thank you that in the death, your death and resurrection, we know your love for us. We experience your power. We're experiencing you doing something for us. And thank you in your death and resurrection, we receive victory over death, that we might live again. Thank you that Easter means life. Amen.